Welcome to the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. Know someone who is making an impact for God's kingdom using their gifts, talents, and passions? We'd love to meet them. Send us an email at podcast at giftsforglory.com. That's podcast at gifts, the number four, glory.com. And now here is our host, Dave Ebert. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the latest edition of the Gifts of Glory podcast. I'm Dave Ebert. Really excited to have you along. And uh, we have a great interview talking about a new uh, movie, a new documentary that's coming out, that's already out. Uh, and I really think that uh, the the entirety of the American church needs to view this film. Uh, as I was speaking to our guest before uh, we started, I, I mentioned the fact that you know we're not praying uh, about this film to see complete uniformity and uh, to see everybody just come in lockstep and agree with every single thing in this piece, because God doesn't call us to that uniformity. He calls us to unity, but I hope that these conversations can help create unity and create uh, moments where we can literally agree to disagree, but still walk arm in arm, excuse me, advancing the kingdom. So I really think that you're going to uh, get a lot out of this interview, and I, I hope that you would uh, buy the movie, whether you're going to stream it uh, online at uh, at the website or buy the DVD, and we'll get into all that in just a few moments. But first, as always, opening up with our devotions with Dave segment. Oh, excuse me, I'm getting a little uh, uh, choked up today. Uh, I think, I'm hoping that that's a good sign for this interview. But today's uh, devotions with Dave segment is coming from uh, Matthew 21, 12 to 13, and uh, out of the NLT. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He's, he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple uh, will be a uh, house of prayer. Um, so in this moment, uh, uh, Jesus is having righteous anger. And it's actually okay to be angry. There's so many people that want to portray Jesus as this peace-loving, long-haired, almost hippie guy walking around in his Birkenstocks. But there's a thing as such a thing as righteous anger, and it's so important to protect the house of the Lord. It's so important to, as a member of the body of Christ, protect it from uh, from deceivers, from people that want to take advantage, that people people that have the wrong motives that bring that that strange fire into the house of God. So we need to be willing and able to have that righteous anger to protect the church. And I think that uh, our interview today is about that. Um, So that's why I wanted to share these verses, uh, Matthew 21 and uh, verses 12 and 13 at the NLT. Uh, And as Jesus said, he said to them, the scripture declares, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And we don't want that. We want people, we want to be the spotless bride of Christ. So let's work to, towards that. And I believe that uh, the, the movie that we're going to be talking about and the, and the ministry work of our guest is really going to do a great job in advancing that. So uh, that is our devotion with Dave segment. So uh, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and uh, play our trailer and uh, let you see a little bit about what we're talking about. And uh, uh, frankly, uh Get ready to get your feathers ruffled. And that's okay because iron sharpens iron. Let's sharpen each other's iron as we check out uh, the trailer from this film. What happened to the church? To the living, powerful, 
transformative, nation-shaking Christianity. What they're trying to do is completely demolish Western civilization and then to rebuild it in a just society. How do you break down American Christianity? I think the problem today in our culture is many of our words have been co-opted and stolen and dumbed down and reversed. Social justice is sold as something that it isn't. Critical race theory is sold as something that it isn't. Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. When you preach victimization, it always leads to vengeance and vice. Us against them, me against you, I want my pound of flesh. American churches today are where the universities were 10 years ago. Pretty heavily Marxist. They're not quite there yet, but they're well on the way. Many of the seminaries and Bible colleges are definitely already there. That message that they're going out and taking the world is not, you need to repent of your sin, receive Christ. Instead, the message that you actually have is they are under the weight of racism or sexism or homophobia, and then we need to unify them together. I'm gay, I'm 29, I'm a youth pastor in New Jersey. I'm straight, and I'm also a youth pastor in New Jersey. We're planning on sharing life together for the rest of our lives, which we're not totally sure what that looks like. Obviously, Nick is straight, and he does plan on getting married. Uh, when he has a wife one day, she'll make those decisions with us. The future damage of what we're doing now is just going to be enormous. The entire fabric of family, personal wealth, private property, all those things are out the door. And everything is the state. They believe the state is God. They don't define justice the same way as the scripture. Oh no, it's going to be an equality all right. And it's going to be a totalitarian Marxist justice. And we now bring Pastor Kerry Gordon on. Uh, Pastor, welcome to uh, Gifts for Glory. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for the honor to speak with you and your audience today. And uh, we're excited about our film. We know it's going to bless and help a lot of people. And uh, you're watching it, you get, uh, you know, there, depending on what side of the political aisle you're on, you're either like, yes, with this, or you're like, oh my gosh, here is another activist pastor trying to create uh, uh, havoc. Um, yeah. but and, and as we talked before we went on the air, w from what I heard from your interview with uh, Steve Dace, um, there are no sacred cards. So anybody is going to see something that they like or they cherish questioned in, in the course of this film. So it's very middle of the road because it, it's aimed at the cross instead of any political ideology. That's exactly right. This is not a... It's not a movie about Republicans and it's not a movie about Democrats. It's a movie about honestly and clearly the gospel of the kingdom that the Bible gives us and what that kingdom means to the kingdoms of this world. And that goes for everybody, Republicans, Democrats, no, it doesn't matter what nation you're in, doesn't matter where you live, there are higher laws that Christians appeal to. And that's what differentiates the Christian worldview from many other religions in the world. And Nero didn't like that, that Christians would say, um, 
we would rather obey God than man. And they're saying there, there is a transcendent authority, a higher authority above your pay grade. And when you tell us to do wrong, we're going to do right. Nero couldn't take it. Caesar couldn't take it. Um, Pol Pot wouldn't accept that. Uh, modern day communism does not accept that in China. And uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea does not allow anyone to have a Bible because a statist, communist, despot, or anyone even in our nation who thinks that government is God, they cannot tolerate a real Christian civilization where people say there is a higher law and even civil authorities answer to that higher law. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're dealing with in this movie is the dangerous mentality of statism. The idea that the state gives permission to the individual to exist. This is deadly, deadly wrong and unscriptural. And it's all through the fabric of our society and it's spreading wildly in our Bible colleges and seminaries. So that's why it's very important, I think, that everyone watch the movie and learn from it. It's a rich, wonderful movie. It has very heavy topics. It's hard to endure at some points because you'll be very disappointed in the number of people who've compromised the, the scriptures, who have, who have turned their back against the authority of the scriptures. But I, I can tell you this, at the end of the film, we give real biblical hope and you'll have your faith boosted by the close of the film. And there may be some that would watch this trailer and think, oh, this is just another response to the, the current controversy of, of CRT or or the, uh, the the lockdowns and the pandemic. But this film has been in the works for a lot longer than, than just the last couple oh, yes. of years. Well, that's right. We started filming three and a half years ago before the pandemic ever hit. Mm-hmm. And actually, we were dealing with the danger of the social justice false gospel movement really spreading like wildfire across the United States long before the BLM social justice movement lit 100 American cities on fire. So when we started out warning people, we've got to get this film done to let Americans know what's happening. We got a lot of pushback and a lot of resistance from people saying, oh, you're just exaggerating. It's not that bad. But then after the COVID lockdowns and BLM just about lit the country on fire, Well, then a lot of people came back and apologized and said, you know, we just kind of slammed the door in your face. We probably should have listened. Can we give you a donation and help you get this movie done? (laughs) So it's been quite a journey and and absolute truth. If you watch the film, you'll notice my beard changes color by the end of the movie. (laughs) So so I started out, I didn't have a gray beard. By the end of the movie, my beard is gray. I don't know if there's a correlation, but it's been quite a journey. Well, I mean, not to equate you, but, you know, when Moses had that encounter with God, he immediately went from, you know, white to gray beard. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of the prophet's way, maybe. Well, I wish that I would glow brightly like Moses, yeah. but so far that hasn't happened. Not yet. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the website to uh, uh, find out more about the movie is uh, enemieswithinthechurch.com. You can buy the digital, you can buy a DVD. Uh, you can also follow all the happenings on their Facebook page at Enemies Within the Church, and uh, like, and I, you know, I, I said in the intro, but maybe from from my perspective and from hearing you and, and seeing the trailer, this isn't to force everyone to say, "Hey, this is the only way and only opinion you can have." 
but it's more or less to start the conversation about what needs to change so we can be more of the church of God. Does that sound like a fair uh, analogy? Yeah, I mean, we're really dealing with uh, fundamentals of Christian faith. And we, we interview people from every kind of denomination you can imagine. Um, even Catholics uh, are a part of our film. And we've, we've come together on solidarity about fundamental issues that are critical to the real gospel that we can read in the Bible. It crosses denominational lines and just gets to the heart of the matter that there's no salvation outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that the message of the gospel um, is uh, you and I, all of us have committed sins. And in, in some cosmic way, we're the, we're the villains of history because our sins, my sins, put Jesus on the cross. Because I've contributed to the murder of the Son of God, then I, I owe God the Father a great apology, and I should repent for my contribution to killing Jesus. And uh, the good news of the gospel is God's willing to forgive me for what I did with my own sins because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. These are things that everyone who's a real Christian agrees upon. And this is in direct contrast to the false gospel of what's happening with the social justice movement. See, the difference is this, in the social justice movement, um, you're being trained that everyone owes you an apology mm. and that you're the great victim of history. And by the way, everyone should repent to you because of something having to do with the melanin and color of your skin. And you never forgive anyone who does come and apologize. See, this is not the gospel of the Bible. This is a, a racially perverted version or an inversion is probably a better word of the real gospel. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is we're all the villains and he's the greatest victim of history. The social justice gospel is I try to tell you, you're a great victim and everybody should repent to you. This is a very dangerous perversion of the Bible that we all have to come together and say no to. Yeah. In, in many ways, uh, as we, I was preparing for this interview, that's why I wanted to use that passage about Jesus flipping the tables. Is it, it maybe not physically flip tables within the foyer of your church, but be willing to stand up for the truth of the gospel and yes. not to say... Oh, well, I trust and I like the pastor. So if he goes a little bit astray here, there's grace there. But there's certain areas there's not grace for when it's polluting the doctrine, polluting the gospel within your church. There's got to be moments where you're willing to stand up and flip a few tables and, and chase down the corruption. Yes. Amen to that. And the, uh, as you're talking about, um, you know, the, the way the social justice and uh, the CRT and some of these things are working. If you take it to the Bible, there is never a point where Jesus or Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, are talking about once the Romans convert, now they owe the Jews a major apology. No, it, There's never that point where the Romans are now subjected to the Jewish people because of the persecution. It's now we're part of the body of Christ. Let's grow the kingdom and not worry about what happened before salvation. That's exactly right. You just nailed it. That's exactly. The, I mean, we were all villains. We all participated in, in sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So why would we want to 
keep dragging up or dredging up what other people have done in their past. When, when we're forgiven of a great deal of sins ourselves, we're just, we should all be just thankful that Jesus forgave us all and we're a family now. That's the real gospel. We, we forgive each other. We're forgiven by God. No hard feelings. Let's move forward. But that's not what the social justice gospel teaches. Right. Now, uh, were there any surprises um, as you filmed? Was there ever a moment where you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming or that detail or I didn't know about <clears throat> this particular thing was what was the biggest surprise uh yes i would say a hundred times uh when i when i was first approached about the possibility of of leading this movie team as a pastor to deal with church issues i knew i mean all of us kind of have a sense that things are bad i mean you can yeah. look at the news you can read some of the ridiculous teaching and doctrine that's spreading all over the place um that, you know, is just a, in total disobedience to the scripture. There's no question about it. You open up the book of Romans, read chapter one. We all know that you, you can't be um, a lesbian woman wearing a clergy collar and call yourself a bishop. I mean, that's just total rebellion mm -hmm. against the Bible. We know that that's not acceptable. And so I had a good sense that things were bad. And I'm, of course, you know, I, I believe in a republic that, um, Jesus said, render unto Caesar those things that belong to Caesar, render unto God those things that belong to God. So when you live in a constitutional republic, one of the things that Caesar uh, in our constitutional republic requires from all of us is our participation. So we should participate in a constitutional republic. That's what our republic desires. That's what you're supposed to do. So I've always been involved in the political world, applying my biblical worldview uh, what would Jesus do, so to speak, to the political arena? And there's just certain ideas like abortion, homosexuality and marriage, things like that. that we just real clear cut. Uh, you're either doing what the Bible says or you're against it. Uh, so I knew things were bad when I started the movie. But I have to be honest, um, I did not know that things were this bad. And I think a lot of Christians, you know, on, on some level, this is wonderful. We, we get into a, a, our own community. We go to church every Sunday. We become family, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. With, with a, a church is really a family of families and we love each other and we're, we're together all the time. And we sort of live in a bubble of peace and with praise music. Mm -hmm. and, and we just love Jesus. And then we go to work and then we come back to church. We look forward to being together. And, and pre, pretty soon, 40 years went by. And we live in this bubble of praise music, and we don't realize sometimes how bad things are really becoming outside of that beautiful arc that God's prepared for all of us through local churches. And so I needed to get outside my local church and travel around the United States with our movie team and sit down with, I think, some of the smartest, wisest people in the world and interview them. I think we did about 150 hours of interviews. And I, I really realized by the end of this thing, America is in so much trouble. Uh, honestly, most Christians do not even grasp what's going to happen probably over the next six months. I think a lot of people's heads are going to be spinning because we're really coming apart at the seams. And, but there's still hope if we will wake up and look at what's happening and then address it and address it in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. 
with our Bibles in hand and obey God, repent for our sins and pray for this country and then get active. I still think there's a chance that we could save our country before it goes past the line where you can't come back. Yeah. And you talked about rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's by being involved, uh, being in a constitutional republic. And it's not to turn it into a theocracy because, you know, the Bible also talks about we really can't hold the unsaved to biblical standards, but we can use it to influence our decisions and our morality in order to create a more moral society. And because we, we can't just like God won't force people into compliance to, to religion, to Christianity. But if we elect people and we serve in a way that brings about that morality then we can start seeing the hearts changed where maybe we can see more people see the power of the kingdom of God. And that's right. the, we can transform a nation from the inside out. Yes, exactly. Cause we may never see Roe versus Wade overturned. We may, may, may never see uh, uh, homosexual marriage overturned, but if we start changing enough hearts, the law isn't going to matter. Right. And that's what the t- church needs to be about is changing hearts towards God, towards Christ, towards the Holy spirit and then let those changes enact the, the nature of the world. Because yeah. there is a coming time where we won't be able to freely exercise our faith the way we do now. Right. And we're setting ourselves up for a, a major fall when those days happen. Because all it took was uh, a pandemic and then suddenly half the churches in America just kind of gave up. They're like, okay, right. well, well, the governor says or, or the president says, so we don't have to be the church for these next couple of weeks or these next six months. And then suddenly people are just comfortable at home and forget about their faith. Right. And that was one of the greatest things that I took away from 2020 is we made a mistake by allowing our government to tell us that the church was not essential. Yes. I think. And exactly right. Because think of every tragedy in American history. The Sunday after the tragedy hits, everybody's back at church looking for hope. Right. And instead, everyone's now at home looking to their computer for hope, watching the Facebook notifications pop up and like, oh, let me check what that's going on and completely miss the message. Yeah, for the first time, probably in our lifetimes, the entire country had their focus on their mortality and began to think of, you know, life, it's over like this. And they, they directed their thoughts back toward God and began to think deeper thoughts. You know, the bread and circuses wasn't keeping their attention anymore because there was an imminent threat, we thought, of what would be a devastating pandemic that might just kill everyone. And you have this amazing opportunity that erupts in American history when the churches would have been full, but Satan got in there and... Uh, because the pastors don't understand jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the Constitution and the Declaration and the mentality of the men who wrote those documents. The concept of limited government, the government has strict limits imposed upon them, not just by the writings of the Constitution, but by natural law. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, by the Ten Commandments and ecclesiastical law from the Old Testament, governments are not authorized to just do whatever they want whenever they want, for whatever reason they want, they have limits they should not cross. And they crossed limits with God and shut our churches down. Those of us who allowed them to, I didn't, I kept having church, but 
It, it's a terrible tragedy in history. We'll look back on in heaven and God will probably say, yeah, you could have had a third grade awakening, but you all closed the doors of your church. The, the, the population was ready to get serious about life and death issues and hear the gospel, but everyone closed the doors. It, it's a terrible tragedy. And I agree with you hundred percent. It's, it's a, it's a shame that that happened. Yeah. It, and I, I hope that this is one of those birth pangs and that uh, we'll come out of this realizing what you just said is that at a moment where everyone's thinking about their mortality and need, and also needing that hope, I hope that churches will be willing to actually put their money where their mouth is and actually do something because I mean, if you think about it, it, and it's understandable for in like a freak wind winter storm to say, Hey, shut down the roads. Everything's closed until right. the snow melts. But when you're in a situation where the goalpost keeps moving, you got to yeah. realize, okay, this is a game and we need to decide, are we truly willing to die for our faith? Are we willing to be arrested for our faith? Are we willing to follow Luke nine twenty three, pick up our cross and follow Jesus? Or are we willing to let the king tell us what we can and can't do for our faith? Or if you're in, in my situation, it's Easter Sunday morning, there's a blizzard, there's snow, and I'm driving down the road during the, the supposed shutdown, and all the churches in our city have closed their doors except for one wonderful Presbyterian pastor who thinks like me. And as I was driving one quarter mile away from my church, I looked at the lumberyard, Menards, Menard's parking lot is jam full. I mean, there's trucks and cars jam full. There's probably hundreds of people inside there at that time. No masks. You know, they're not taking any precautions. Their bathrooms are filthy inside that place. And they're just going through there buying screws and screwdrivers and pieces of wood. And I have to draw, I have to drive by on a Sunday morning, on Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday. Menard's jam full with people, no respect at all. But our government lets them stay open and one quarter mile away, order my church to close. So that that is horrible. And then two weeks later, the governor decides, well, now arcades and bowling alleys are also non-essential. So in, in our in our state, churches were deemed non-essential before bowling alleys and arcades. This is how backwards. And uh, you mentioned theocracy earlier. I've just got news for everybody. You're living in a theocracy. This is a humanist theocracy. And as a matter of fact, this podcast is violating that humanist theocracy's blasphemy laws. And you probably couldn't get your show to play on Facebook before they'll censor you and say you violated their community standards because you said something they don't approve of. So we live in a theocracy. And honestly, if I have to choose between the theocracy of God or the theocracy of humanists, I'll take God anytime. Yeah. Amen to that. So uh, again, for those listening uh, on the audio version, uh, visit in, uh, enemieswithinthechurch.com, all one word, to uh, find out details on where to get the movie, where to see it. And uh, also uh, follow on Facebook at Enemies Within the Church uh, for updates and also to uh, just to connect with the film to see uh, what's happening, who it's touching, who it's reaching. Uh, you can also uh, connect with uh, Pastor Kerry uh, Gordon at Pastor Kerry Gordon, uh, spelled C-A-R-Y Gordon, um, on Facebook. Uh, follow him and uh, his, uh, his a phenomenal church in Sioux City, Iowa. If you're ever traveling through the Midwest, uh, check it out. Always open on Sunday, uh, yeah. unlike Chick-fil-A, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even in a pandemic. Even in a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so um, one of my favorite parts of every episode, and I think is the most important part, 
uh, because Revelation tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So I always ask our guests to share as much as they're comfortable, as much as they're led, how they came to know Jesus. I know that uh, you came by it very naturally. Uh, your father uh, was actually the founder of the church you're currently a pastor of. But there's always that moment where it has to become your own faith and not your father's faith. So yes. tell us how that journey uh, happened. When did that uh, moment happen for you? Well, my grandfather starts with my grandfather. He came out of the Hatfield and McCoy clan, and he was hmm. one of the first people uh, that got born again. He had a moment where he was drowning in the Tug River as a young boy, and uh, he had a vision of the Lord. And uh, he woke up on the side of the river, coughed up the water, and he pledged to God, if you save me, I'll preach. I'll preach. I'll do what you tell me. So he started preaching at the age of about 16 years old to some of those ruffians in the mountains. And Grandpappy Mounts, Dr. R.M. Mounts, preached the gospel for almost 60 years until he died. And then uh, my father ministered for more than 50 years before he retired. And this is my 28th year of ministry as a pastor. But when I found the Lord Jesus, was my, my dad was preaching the gospel, and I was three years old in the adult <laughs> services. We didn't have kids kids church when I was little. And uh, I just remember my dad giving this appeal as an altar call. You've got to repent of your sins and, and ask God to forgive you. And I know people think, well, three years old, boy, that's too young. But I felt terrible guilt because I, if I remember correctly, I had been in the nursery and some other little boy had brought a matchbox car and um, he left it on the windowsill and I stole that car and put it wow. in my pocket. And I had my conscience bothered me and I committed, I committed a sin and, and uh, mm. I, I was, I had a great weight, a great burden. And I listened to my own father at the front of that church on a Sunday morning, giving an appeal to, for sinners to repent. And I felt very, very bad. And I, I was terrified because I was a little bitty guy and I thought, well, no one else is going up there. So I, I walked the green mile by myself <laughs> as a little boy and I remember I got to the front and I thought, well, why are all these people crying? I don't understand why they're crying. And um, so my father led me in the sinner's prayer. And I remember praying the prayer and just wanting God to forgive me for what I had done. And I felt like a brand new person. I can still remember it. Wow. And sometimes I scare my mother. I tell her stories about uh, things that happened in our house when I was uh, one years old. So... <laughs> Um, I have a, I don't know why, but God gave me a good memory for, for at least back there. I can't find my car keys right now, but I can tell you stuff from, from way back. And so, I mean, I committed my life to the Lord Jesus from the time I was a tiny boy and uh, grew up in a pastor's home and went through a lot of the struggles pastor's kids go through in terms of watching your parents be abused and misused by people. And uh, I never backslid. I never went into the world. I, I, I lived right before God. I lived a fairly holy life. I lived a real Christian life, but I had real hard time with people and I did not want to be in the ministry. Uh, my grandfather would ask me, so you're going to go into the ministry? I said, no, no way. Yeah. Yes. I want to have money. I want to, <laughs> I want to live in a nice house. I, I want people to treat me nice. You mm -hmm. know, so I'd seen the, the sufferings and the, the cost that my mom and dad had paid, you know, all the squabbling and lying and everything people do. So uh, about the time I got out of college, uh, the Lord was working on me. I went on a missions trip and he used it and broke my heart and, and got me to 
care about people again. And I, so I said, uncle, and I said, all right, Lord, I'll go into the ministry. And I've been doing it for about 28 years now. And I wouldn't do anything else in the world. I love the church. I love God. I love God's people. I love the mission of the church. And uh, I hate the devil. I hate Satan. I hate deception. I hate what he does to mislead people. And that's why we made this movie. Yeah. And, and that's, that's just a great story of how no matter where you're at, God's going to find you and give you the ultimate, you know, give you the decision. And it's really cool to hear somebody at three years old made that decision. And, and you got a, and a huge props to your dad for when you come up there for him taking it serious. Yes. It would have been very easy for him to think, Oh, here's my son just trying to support me. Thank you so much. Yeah. But he actually led you in the sinner's prayer, taking it seriously. And I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and it, you, you think about, well, three is so young. That's hard to, to, to realize. Let's remember the first person to realize the arrival of the Messiah was an unborn baby. So yeah. I think that uh, age is not an issue. Yeah. It's different for everybody. It's, yeah. you know, everybody's a little bit different. Some kids haven't even started talking yet by three. I have a, a cousin that didn't speak clear English until he was like three and a half years old. But um, my mother says I, I began speaking in full sentences at 14 months. Wow. So I guess maybe I was a little ahead of the curve and it is unusual to think of a three-year-old getting born again, but that that's my testimony. I've known Jesus for almost my entire life and I wouldn't have it any other way. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, we mentioned before we went on the air that uh, not only do you have the movie, but you also have a uh, book. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book. Uh, I know you have uh, it nearby to show, show us what the cover looks like. There it is. A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. Mm. And it's a roadmap to American redemption. This is, um, this is a book that it basically explains the efficacy of the Ten Commandments uh, upon all civilizations, every government of the world. And it gets back to that issue that there, there is the appeal of Christianity, that there's a higher law that is transcendent, that is above men. It's above Congress. It's above presidents. It's above prime ministers and kings. And our founders understood this. And modern Americans do not. And that's the danger that we're, we're in peril because of that. But our founding fathers, even those who weren't Christians, per se, still understood this, that our rights don't come from courts. Our freedoms don't come from men. Our rights come directly from God. Transcendent rights imbued within us as sacredly created individuals and that we're born with those inalienable rights. You'll recognize that terminology from the Declaration. Mm -hmm. And the duty of this government, really of all governments, is to preserve and protect those rights that only come from God. So rights come and bypass kings and presidents and prime ministers. And it comes straight to us from our creator and government's only legitimate role is to protect the rights our creator has given us. And um, this book explains where we went wrong. Uh, it's largely the inspiration for the movie. So you will be able to get this book at our movie website. Eventually, I think that they're getting ready to put up our, our little bookstore at some point on the website. It's streaming now. The movie is, yeah. but the, the bookstore is not up yet. But you can find this on Amazon. You can get the book on Amazon again, A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. It'll bless you, especially if you're a pastor. Um, many people don't realize that when uh, the Constitution was ratified in 1789, uh, every single state 
in the United States. There were 13 colonies that became states. They all codified the entire Ten Commandments, the whole Decalogue, into state law in every state of the United States of America. And that's what's really changed, uh, not for the better, in this country. We have to have higher law, or the consequence is everyone begins to think that their rights come from men. And if they think their rights come from a court, or from a president, or from a governor, guess what they can do? They can take all your rights away. And, and you need to look no further than what happened to you all one year ago when they violated the constitutional limits and just decided they're, they're going to ignore the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, like it's not there, and say, oh, we're declaring an emergency. The Constitution is moot. Stay home. And that's exactly what communist China was hoping we would do because they're converting us to think just like them. Yeah. It's one thing had it been literally just the 15 days, see what happens then. And then we kind of go back to normal. But when 15 days became 15 months, that's when we start needing to really ask questions and not just trust the man, because our rights come from above man and not from man. Yes. Yes. Uh, it goes back to the storm analogy earlier of if there's a winter storm, yeah, it, it makes sense to for one day, one week, whatever, to let the storm pass and then we get back. But when it when the goalpost keeps moving, that's when the men of God need to start hanging on to the anchor that is the, the word of God. Yes. And start, start relying on that instead of what people are saying on TV or on their computer. Yes. So I think it's an important conversation. Uh, it's, it's an important wake-up call. Uh, again, it's not about getting everybody to believe exactly right-wing, left-wing. That's not even it. It's about getting back to the root, to the foot of the cross, yes. to the foot of truth. Why and did Jesus then, die? Yeah, why did Jesus die? Exactly. Why did Jesus die? Why do we need to understand that? Right. Exactly. And you can find uh, the movie again at enemieswithinthechurch.com. Find on Facebook at uh, Enemies Within the Church. And uh, uh, just have it, uh, watch it with a small group uh, and uh, have the conversations. See where you within your church body can start making a difference towards that third great yeah. awakening. And, uh, you know, see if we can bring more people into the kingdom and uh, even bring some people into the kingdom that think they're there, but they're really not. So uh, very important time. Uh, and you talked about it took several years to put this together. And I think it's because this is the time that we needed it. Um, Amen. It, there's stories in the Bible how sometimes it takes a long time for for the crop to to mature and and to be ready to to harvest. And I think that uh, that being faithful three and four years ago, God is going to bless this movie because it it needs to be said. It needs to ruffle some feathers to yes. be the iron sharpening iron. And yes, thank you. And again, it's not about promoting one political ideology over other. It's not, uh, as you and I talked about before, there are no sacred cows. There are no uh, punches that are pulled because you're trying to protect somebody or, or some church or some uh, particular ideology. It's, That's right. It's exposing truth. And if the truth hurts, take that as a blessing. Yes. So Well, when you go to the doctor... You want the doctor to tell you the honest truth. And if he has to look at you and say, look, you have a malignant tumor. And if you don't have surgery, you're going to die. And you don't get angry at the doctor for telling you that. You thank him 
and then you do it you do what he says to do so that you can keep living and that's in in many ways i think that's what our movie is doing we're telling the church you have cancer and you're dying but there is a solution and there is a great physician who will heal you if you will repent and uh, that's what this movie is about and honestly everyone really should watch it because it will give you it'll it'll help you step outside of that beautiful bubble of the local church where we get to enjoy each other and praise music and help you see how bad things are so that you know how to handle it. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, sometimes healing can't start until something breaks. Yes. And uh, so hopefully this can break some, some uh, scales on eyes and soften hearts to, uh, to, to the bigger truth. So uh, really excited about uh, people getting a chance to watch it. I'm really excited uh, to be able to see it myself when we get the DVD and, and share it with my pastor in, in our church. Because uh, our pastor, we are in a, a church plant that um, we don't have our own building. We were meeting in schools until the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit and even when things started opening, a church meeting in a school building was yeah. impossible. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in my pastor, I think you and he and you would get along really great because they forged through, they found every way to continue to meet, to be the church, despite what everything was going on. While church buildings were shut down, we yes. were meeting in moose lodges, in American yep. Legion halls. Um, we were meeting at a corn maze under a tent, but wow. we were meeting because awesome. the importance of being together, praying together, praying for one another, looking people in the eye to see, are they really fine or are they church fine? Right. Are, are, are they you can't, you yeah. can't baptize people through a Zoom screen, can you? No. <laughs> not safely, but no, not at all. <laughs> uh, take, your, take your waterproof GoPro, jump in the pool three times. Once for right. the father, <laughs> once for the son. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Pastor Kerry, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, now we got the two final segments. I warned you about an email. So uh, uh, strap in. Uh, this first segment is called The Interrogation. <laughs> So this will be seven quick questions that uh, otherwise pretty, uh, pretty much wouldn't have fit in the interview. Uh, so here we go with the first question. What do you do for fun other than ruffling feathers? Uh, I love to shoot guns. And I, shooting skeet is probably one of my favorite things. I also like to snow ski. And I, I ski the Black Diamonds in Colorado. I love snow skiing. Oh, wow. So, uh, so you're pretty competent because Black Diamond is like the next to the highest as far as difficulty. That's the difficult stuff. Yeah. And I love it. Uh, question number two, uh, who is or are uh, your teams uh, sports wise? Sports wise. Well, since I, when I was a little boy, I lived in uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And I have to say, I love the Georgia Bulldogs. And I also, I, I have a, a heart connection to the Oklahoma Sooners and that's about it. Okay. Question number three, is there a moment in time you wish you could do over? Yes. The last time I made my wife angry. <laughs> so five minutes before the interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that bad. But yeah. No, gotcha. All right. Uh, question number four, what should the world know about being a PK? I know you mentioned earlier about seeing your parents go through a lot of the struggle, but maybe uh, more directly about you as a son of a preacher, what, what is something that you wish people knew about that? 
I wish people understood that the reason why pastors' kids often end up in rebellion, I didn't, but most pastors' kids do. And it's because their parents spend so much time trying to help the other families in the church that they end up neglecting their own family. And I wish people understood how much, how much time and how much sacrifice the local pastor truly does give to his congregation. And it goes almost completely unnoticed because it's one person at a time, you know, nickeled and dimed across six days of the week. Mm -hmm. And they usually don't appreciate it or even worse, they accuse the pastor of not caring enough, not giving enough time. So ministers end up being in a sort of a hamster wheel of constantly putting out fires and trying to emotionally, uh, you know, help everybody under the sun and they neglect their own kids. I wish people would understand that. Stop putting such a foolish demand on their pastors and, and understand that the pastor's first congregation is his own house. Hmm. Good word. All right. Uh, question number five, if uh, God would ever to call you away from ministry, what would you be doing? Uh, I would probably buy land in the Badlands and have a cabin and sit on my porch and watch the sun go down every night. That's what I would do as far away from people as I could get. <laughs> it's like, I love doing ministry with people. The only hard part is the people. Yeah. I just love nature and I like quiet. Yeah. I really like quiet, but, I, but I love Jesus enough that I say not my will, but yours be done. And so I'm with people all the time and it's noisy, but you know, I, I pray that the Lord will bless me in retirement. Maybe someday, I don't know when, maybe can I have just a quiet cabin somewhere far, far away? That's kind of what I long for. Nice. Number six, what habits or quirks uh, do you have that uh, your wife Molly teases you about? She calls me the absent-minded professor. Um, I can't remember where my car keys are. Uh, I lose my wallet all the time. Uh, and she's always running around trying to help me not forget things. And, you know, I, honestly, did I put my pants on yet? Things like that. Is that <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm deep in thought. I got all kinds of things going on in my mind, and I'm, and I'm just not always paying attention to the details down here. So, mm -hmm. um, so she's a real help to me that way. All right. Very good. All right. Number seven, what is your favorite passage to teach from uh, in the pulpit? Well, one of my favorite verses since I was a small boy, I think it's probably the first verse I ever memorized as a little boy is Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. That was the verse I leaned on when I had nightmares as a little kid. That's, mm. My parents drilled that into me, and that verse will go with me all the way to my grave. And uh, Jesus said, I've come to destroy the works of the devil, and so I want to be like Jesus, so I'm spending my time doing everything I can to destroy the works of the devil. Nice. That's a good word. All right. So, uh, Pastor Kerry, uh, uh, Kerry, the uh, final question I ask every uh, guest uh, is uh, for your wise counsel. For anyone that wants to use their gifts, whether it's their, their talents, their passions, or even allowing God to redeem their experiences, uh, what would your wise counsel be for someone that's looking to use their gifts for God's glory? Every gift that comes from God um, comes from him, but it is strengthened through people. 
And so if, if you have a gift from God that should be used, you must use it in conjunction with fellowship in a local church. The local church is how God uh, distributes grace. Your gifting doesn't work without God's grace and grace flows sideways. Jesus said that um, when you give someone who's thirsty a cup of cold water, it's the same as if you gave him a cup of cold water. He was teaching us to love one another and to understand that we need each other. Mm -hmm. uh, Americans tend to be very independent. And a lot of people today, uh, neo-Gnosticism says, we don't need churches. We don't need church buildings. We are the church. Don't, don't go to church. Be the church and stuff like that. No, listen to me. Go to church. If you've got a gift, go to church. Serve other people in the church of Jesus Christ. You're not omnipresent, so you can't be a part of every single church in the world on Sunday morning. You can only be in one place at one time, and that's practical. So God's called you to serve one church where you can stand physically and love people literally on your left and on your right. And as you do that, the grace of God will flow back from them into you and your giftings will increase and then you'll get more done because you're obeying and being in the local church. Yeah. Nice. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, so uh, again, uh, for uh, anybody that's uh, uh, listening, anybody who's watching, go to enemieswithinthechurch.com or facebook.com slash enemieswithinthechurch. Find out more about this film, uh, buy it, support it, and uh, get the conversations going because uh, we are definitely... The, the way I look at it is, uh, have you ever seen those funnels? You drop a coin in and it goes around and around. Yeah. We are getting down to the bottom of that funnel. And we have no idea when the coin's going to drop, but we know it's coming soon. Yes. Uh, even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, but I'm pretty sure God's telling him not to buy green bananas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, enemies within the church, uh, really looking forward to seeing it myself. And I uh, hope that people will support it, will share it. And like I said uh, a couple of times, just get the conversation going. What do we need to do as individual members within the body of Christ to make sure we get our church and the church back on the right track, especially here in America, where so many competing ideas are infiltrating and diluting or completely replacing the gospel. And we want to see that trend reversed. So, uh, Pastor, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, blessings to you and your family. Stay Thanks. safe, stay healthy, and uh, I wish you all the best on the book and hope uh, on the uh, book and the movie. And yes. pray, prayerfully, there will be there will not be a sequel. Yes, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone, take care. We'll see you next week. What happened to the church? 
to the living, powerful, transformative, nation-shaking Christianity. What they're trying to do is completely demolish Western civilization and then to rebuild it in a just society. How do you break down American Christianity? I think the problem today in our culture is many of our words have been co-opted and stolen and dumbed down and reversed. Social justice is sold as something that it isn't. Critical race theory is sold as something that it isn't. Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. When you preach victimization, it always leads to vengeance and vice. Us against them, me against you, I want my pound of flesh. American churches today are where the universities were 10 years ago. Pretty heavily Marxist. They're not quite there yet, but they're well on the way. Many of the seminaries and Bible colleges are definitely already there. That message that they're going out and taking the world is not, you need to repent of your sin, receive Christ. Instead, the message that you actually have is they are under the weight of racism or sexism or homophobia, and then we need to unify them together. I'm gay, I'm 29, I'm a youth pastor in New Jersey. I'm straight, and I'm also a youth pastor in New Jersey. We're planning on sharing life together for the rest of our lives, which we're not totally sure what that looks like. Obviously, Nick is straight, and he does plan on getting married. Uh, when he has a wife one day, she'll make those decisions with us. The future damage of what we're doing now is just going to be enormous. The entire fabric of family, personal wealth, private property, all of those things are out the door. And everything is the state. They believe the state is God. They don't define justice the same way as the scripture. Oh no, it's going to be an equality all right. And it's going to be a totalitarian Marxist justice.